Welcome to NGA Notable Lectures, a podcast offering a deeper understanding of all things artistic. In this performance recorded on November 24th, 2013 at the National Gallery of Art, Paul D. Miller, also known as DJ Spooky, that subliminal kid, presents a composition for string ensemble with live mixed electronic music and video. DJ Spooky, a Civil War symphony, originally performed at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, borrows images from the exhibition Tell It With Pride, the 54th Massachusetts Regiment and Augustus St. Gaudens Shaw Memorial. On view through January 20th, 2014, the exhibition considers the legacy of the 54th and the Battle of Fort Wagner in art, examining 19th century efforts to memorialize those who fought, St. Gaudens Shaw Memorial itself, and the continuing inspiration that the regiment, its defining battle, and the Shaw Memorial have been for 20th and 21st century artists. Hey, everybody. Hi. It's such a pleasure to be back in D.C. Um, I grew up here, and this museum represents an incredible um, sense of sort of childhood wonder for me. Um, first and foremost, I want to just introduce the musicians with me. Um, this is Jennifer and Daniel. They're from D.C. as well, so if we can just... And um, I met them because I was doing a project between Korea and the U.S. Uh, with a project called Madame Freedom. And um, I was looking for some really amazing uh, string players in the D.C. area who were able to work with uh, Korean uh, music. And they uh, were just uh, top of every Google search. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's like one of those things when you realize talent, actually there is an algorithm for it, I guess. But um, so the beautiful thing that you're going to be seeing today, and let me just walk you through this, is first and foremost, um, I want to give a quick shout out. My mom's in the audience, so she's an amazing figure for DC. Hey, that's great. <laughs> um, let me just show you guys some stuff, because I like the idea of you guys going through my hard drive here. Um, all right, so back in the day, uh, just way back in the day, let me show you something really quick. This is my family in 1972. Um, and my mom, my dad was dean of Howard University's law school in the 60s, and my mom was a sort of historian of design, and she had a store called Toast and Strawberries. So this is our living room. Oh, there you go. Um, and my dad happened to be friends with Thurgood Marshall, who's the general on the left, and that's Supreme Court Justice Douglas, and that's my dad in the tux. So we used to have these kind of living room situations where a lot of writers, artists, cultural figures would come through the spot. And, of course, the Civil War, uh, in this time period, if you think about J. Edgar Hoover and Nixon, it was definitely a kind of Civil War. Um, and um, so our living room was a debate, discussion forum. Uh, my mom's store was called Toast and Strawberries. It was at Connecticut and R. It's now uh, an Asian tea shop called Teaism, you know, uh, which, as D.C. goes, is a good thing, right? Um, so I want to just say the Civil War for me as an American and as an African-American is one of these spots where you can see the red state, blue state divide that's going on now, of course, with Congress, which is at all-time record low, uh, which is exactly what happened with the Civil War as well. And in fact, if you scan over the red state, blue state divide, it actually eerily mirrors the Civil War. So this year is the sesquicentennial of the Gettysburg Address, uh, and I had a concert in Gettysburg last weekend, and um, this is a special treat for me because I get, I get a chance to come back and visit my mom and see D.C. D.C. is an amazingly and a huge renaissance right now. Um, and it's been really... I grew up with, you know, Ronald Reagan on one screen and Mayor Marion Barry on the other, so... Uh, I think Toronto's mayor is now caught smoking crack. So, uh, you know, the more things change. Um, so, 
here we are in 2013, and the Civil War still has so many layers of echo. And um, I got the rights to D.W. Griffith's film, Birth of a Nation. Uh, he left his estate to Harvard and to MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art up in New York. Um, and so as an open source project, I remixed that film, and we had it play at a wide variety of spots. I just want to show you one that we particularly was one of my favorites. We got the Greek government to give me the, the Acropolis for an evening. And uh, I can be persuasive, right? Uh, um, and so the Greek government was like, why do you want to have the crazy KKK film play at the Acropolis? Uh, you know, it's a good question. And I was like, well, you know, you guys have comedy, tragedy, and they're like, ah, oh, I get it. So uh, we had it play at the Herod Atticus Theater at the base of the Acropolis, and we had about 5,000 people come to the show. Um, I, hi, everybody. I think I'm the first DJ to play here in like 3,000 years. Thanks for coming out. Um, and so the, the Civil War with Birth of a Nation was one of those things that it just opened up a whole spectrum because D.W. Griffith is considered to be the, the, the man who invented Hollywood. Uh, and the roles and characters, it's actually a truly uh, controversial film. It's the rise of blackface. Uh, it's the rise of how people thought of the definition of roles of people of color, whether you be Asian or African American. Uh, if African American, you had blackface. If you were Asian, they would have what you call yellow face. Uh, and so things like that, the definition of identity uh, out of film, we're now still, in a hundred years on, still dealing with and grappling with all these different ideas of what is the character or the content of character of what it means to be a person of color or a white person, because these are all constructs. Once we get to the U.S., I mean, the Germans have issues with the French, the French have issues with the English, they all can't stand each other, you know, but when they get to the U.S., they're white, right? Um, and so... Um, when you come to the U.S., there's a whole reconfiguration that goes on. So what I wanted to do um, when I was working on these compositions was think about design, think about projects and process. Um, so I was artist in residence at the Metropolitan Museum in New York, and I presented a series of uh, pieces that essentially were exploring how we uh, engage the notion of what it means to be an artist in the 21st century. Um, so I just want to show you one other quick thing because I think it's just helpful for context. And this is a um, basically one of the pieces that uh, kind of should give you some, some sense of what's going on with how people think about uh, film. And this is, I found very rare footage of D.W. Griffith, and we'll just play with that. And we're also being joined by Rochelle, who you will hear by surprise in a second. But this is considered this a trailer for a film remix. Oh, thank you. Is that D.W. Griffith? Yes. He made the birth of a nation. Now I want to ask you a question. Fire ahead. When you made the birth of a nation, you feel as though it were true? The clan at that time was needed and served a purpose. Yes, I think it's true. President Woodrow Wilson, the 28th President of the United States, the son of Confederate sympathizers, struggles with an escalating war in Europe, a woman's right to vote, and a country still recovering from a devastating civil war. While in the throes of his attempt to create the League of Nations in 1915, 
Woodrow Wilson saw a very different vision for the internal political situation in America than he did with his international idealism. The League of Nations was an attempt to foster what he called an organization to end all wars. To premiere his vision, he invited his close friend and fellow Confederate son, D.W. Griffin, to screen The Birth of a Nation at the White House, making it the first film to play there in American history. The Birth of a Nation set the tone for how film portrayed history. It still fuels the debate about how much progress has or hasn't occurred, its impact on society, and whether such a film should have ever been made. In modern 21st century America, a world of red states and blue states, the birth of a nation hangs as a specter over the political process. Ultimately, the birth of a nation is about conflict. It shows us controversy and a deep ignorance of history in the form of a film once described by Woodrow Wilson as writing history with lightning. There was something in the tradition of America's first pop culture phenomenon, the minstrel show, showing multiple ideas about American identity and set the tone for the 21st century's revisionist landscape where media and the absence or presence of a story in that media could set off a war or could literally create a vision of democracy rising in the deserts of another foreign occupied nation. Rebirth of a Nation looks at Griffith's vision of America tied together with never-before-seen close-ups and innovative techniques and turns them on themselves to make a film from the viewpoint of DJ culture. The turntable moves to become the projector. The projector becomes the multimedia file. And all of those things look back through history as a digital media where stories can be made as we go. The Rebirth of a Nation is a DJ mix applied to cinema. It's been said that those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But what happens if we break the cycle? How did Pontius Pilate said truth? What is the truth?
still doubts that America is a place where all things are possible, who still wonders if the dream of our founders is alive in our time, who still questions the power of our democracy. Tonight is your answer.
In the Civil Rights Act of 1964, we affirm through law that men equal under God are also equal when they seek a job, when they go to get a meal in a restaurant, or when they seek lodging for the night in any state. And now the Negro families no longer suffer the humiliation are being turned away because of their race. Walk with me, Lord, walk with me, 
I'm climbing high mountain trying to get home. I am climbing high mountain trying to get home. I am climbing high mountain, climbing high mountain. Lord, I'm a climbing high mountain trying to get home.
Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, it's been a beautiful afternoon. And I do want to just give a little bit of a shout out to both the art, because the photography in the exhibition, if you haven't had a moment, um, it's about a very major uh, engagement with the 54th Battalion, which is one of the first African-American uh, arms uh, units to go into the Civil War. So what you were seeing tonight was kind of, um, I was making sure just to have one photograph go with each piece and then try and just get you to kind of think about the idea of photography and the rise of the way photography would document a war. Um, so we had this at the Metropolitan Museum, and we had a great response, and thank you guys so much for tonight. Um, also, I was DJing the material just to show you. This is this app I made with Apple, and so everything was being looped and layered, so that's why it sounded like a lot more strings were going on. So I was able to take bits and pieces of stuff and uh, just kind of just riff on it for a second just to show you. Um, the whole idea is as much as possible to kind of get you to think about digital media and its relationship to uh, composition. So um, that's what the show was about. And at the end of the day, I just want to say thank you to Rochelle, Danielle, and Jennifer for such an incredible evening. And thank you to the National Gallery. This has been a National Gallery of Art podcast.